Hey, I'm Matthew Ma, the host of the Truth About Real Estate podcast, and today we are talking with Colin Tate of Host Coach. Colin harnesses his skills as a successful tech entrepreneur and super host of multiple properties to coach you to achieve your goals as an Airbnb host. His mission is to share his experience, knowledge of specific tools and software, and the system he has created to harness the unique opportunity of short-term rental investing so that others can enjoy a life of financial freedom to live their why. Excited to talk with you. Colin, yeah, great. Yeah, Matt, doing really well. Happy to be here. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I really want to learn more about you know real estate, uh, short-term rentals, Airbnb, and how you came from a tech entrepreneur <laughs> to really building this short-term rental investing um, opportunity across the country. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people in real estate, uh, sort of happens by accident sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, I've always been kind of excited about real estate, but uh, I sold a company back in 2018, and uh, as a serial entrepreneurs, you said, I was sort of scratching my head and trying to figure out what to do next, right? What's the, what's the next thing to build, the next problem to solve? Uh, but I did have one cabin that was performing really well on Airbnb, and the, the numbers were really strong. So I decided to take the leap, and um, that summer of 2018 made investment in uh, three uh, additional cabins, and uh, that really kicked, kicked off the uh, journey. Let's talk about that, too. Like, in real estate, there's so many different ways to really invest into real estate. What made you decide to really build out your first um, short-term rental? It was, you know, it was ex- accidental uh, and exciting. So I bought this first cabin really as just a getaway. You know, I think uh, my son was about five years old. And uh, anybody out there who's got kids in that age range knows you, you're looking for something to do, right? Something a little different. And so we bought that cabin and it was just a family cabin. But then um, friends wanted to stay and other friends wanted to stay. So on a whim, I just put it on Airbnb and it just booked every weekend. I mean, just automatically just started booking. And that was really exciting. And so in 2018, when when I was figuring out the next thing to do, I knew that the numbers, uh, the number, the revenue potential was there. So I just dove in. Isn't it kind of amazing too? like, it's, it's really fortunate that you were luckily able to do that and during that time period and just build it up. And the fact that you, you bought a you know home to vacation home to use for your family, which made it a little bit easier because you already knew the purpose of it. But by accident, people are asking you to really start utilizing it. And then now you're getting actually rental income coming in. You're seeing a platform like Airbnb actually bring you business and you see the dollars coming in, pouring in. And the fact that you were able to book it out every single week. What did you think about that when that first happened? I was honestly surprised. Um, you know, when when my wife had originally suggested or asked if we were going to rent that cabin out, you know, my response was, "Oh heck, what are we? Go- we're going to make a couple hundred bucks a month. You know, is is it even worth it?" But then, when all of a sudden you you turn it on and it's uh, you know netting two thousand dollars a month, that's real money, and um, yeah. you know, over over all your bills, and so you know, that's that's enough to to you know, pay for itself and, and your primary house as well. Let's talk about that process too. Okay, so for example, you decide, so when people start deciding, they start saying, okay, well, can I do long-term rental or in find long-term tenants or should I get a short-term rental? In your case, since it's a vacation home and you want to use it for your family, then the short-term rental applies because right. if you do long-term, you can't use it. So it defeats the purpose. So when you started hopping on Airbnb, you set up your profile, you start learning about the platform and how to utilize it. How did you go about the next steps? Okay, I'm going to rent this out. You know, furnishing it, you already pre-furnished it, but at the same time, okay, my insurance, I need to find cleaners, some maintenance people to do it, and it's going to turn over a lot faster. I need to set up key structures so I can open and close doors, email, marketing. And how did you think about that? And like, what were the steps you had to take and what did you learn from it? You know, it was when we went from one to, you know, three um, over the course of that summer, uh, you know, it, it makes you need to understand and develop a process, right? So um, I found that were a number of tools that are available, you know, uh, Airbnb and the other online uh, booking platforms make their API available to third parties that um, help you in your operations. So for example, there are dynamic pricing tools that set your pricing for you based on the demand, a specific demand for upcoming weekend. That was a really huge tool. And we can talk about that further. And the other really big tool that I had to come to grips and, and find a solution for was communicating. You know, when you're communicating with not just one guest a weekend or one guest at a time, when you're communicating with, you know, three guests at a time, 
12 turnovers per month, that's, you know, 36 different people you're communicating with, um, that becomes, um, you know, a burden. And so there are tools, the one that I use called Hospitable, which is an automated messaging platform for your guests. So that's pretty cool. So for example, yeah, the worry people have is like, well, I don't even want to be a landlord and deal with one tenant. Now you're telling me to deal with 36 <laughs> tenants, um, you know, and they're coming in now every single weekend. I'm busy. I have a job. I have kids. How do I do this? Exactly. So um, that auto messaging platform works. So when somebody books, they'll get a message that I've customized that's, you know, confirms all their details. But the first message tells them everything that they would want to know about planning a trip to this area, right? So um, where to stop for donuts along the way, where the best restaurant is, where, you know, where the grocery stores are, here's some things to do. You might want to go hiking. You might want to go biking. You might um, activities. So all of those questions that you think you're going to get asked one off, we address in an automated message. That's actually perfect, smart, and I, I love that because, you know, being both of us coming from tech background, it's all about streamlining processes, automation, and the point of it is really communication and creating transparency and making it so easy and user-friendly that anyone can follow. And by doing that, they fall in love with it because you kind of make it like Amazon, a one-click system <laughs> where I know exactly what I need is everything's done. It takes the first time, it takes a little bit because you're learning what your clients are asking, what their questions. But when you start building out these uh, messaging tools with information and to answer everything, like who, what, where, when, why, how, and you address all of them and you make it nice, it makes it so much easier. And the customer experience is a lot better. And as you built it, now the next person is going to utilize the same concept and you just improve it over time, right? Exactly. It's it's sort of like an FAQ doc, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, then there are the one-off questions that you get asked, you know, do, uh, you know, something specific, you know, do you have, you know, a, a, a crib, you know, for example, or um, so you, those little questions, you know, come through on, you know, Airbnb has a nice app and you just, you know, like I call it a bathroom business sometimes, right? So it's just yeah. a quick, like 60 seconds while you're standing in line at the grocery store, answering a question for, uh, for a guest. And I think one good thing about that too is it's actually great when guests ask you questions because you can actually think about that like, hey, I could have a crib here. I could have this here. I could add this and that would be additional value. It can be additional upsell. It can be additional um, just, you know, point, right? Right. I always tell people to review their reviews, right? So when guests, if there's, we, we ask people, you know, how can we improve? And you're right. You're sort of crowdsourcing your, um, you know, your your maintenance schedule and your your amenity upgrades. You know, somebody says, "Hey, you know, do you have a blender?" Then you know you can go on Amazon and buy a blender. Yeah, and that's a, a good point too, because now you can see that. Then when I when I think about that, the next step for me would be, okay, well, let's say I bought a blender. How do I even if I don't even live there? How do I ship this thing to that yeah. location? Who opens it, unpackages it, gets it all ready, sets it all up, adds, and, you, know. you know. That touches on a part of your question there before about the processes. You know, in addition to these tech um, tools, we, we need relationships. So my properties are all about two and a half hours from my home. So, no, I'm not going to, you know, run that blender down there. I have real strong relationships with the most important person being your housekeeper. So you need to find somebody who you know, is doing more than just pushing a vacuum cleaner around, right? You need a trusted business partner who is that housekeeper who is vested in the success of the property and really takes pride in cleaning and inspecting and, you know, letting you know when items are wearing, towels are wearing, sheets are wearing. And then I literally go on Amazon and ship those cleaning supplies with that blender that we keep talking about directly to my housekeeper. And she puts it in the property for us because she's there every two and a half days. And that's a great thing too, finding people. And that's a really important point too. How do you find these these right people? And how do you vet them to make sure that they're doing what they say they, they can do? Yeah. I, I uh, The generic way is to use, um, you know, uh, you know, like the job search sites, uh, you know, you can find um, people for cleaning. I have a trick that I use, which is I get, um, I print one of those bandit signs, like a yard sign, real nice one. And it says housekeeper and I have a Google phone number on it. And I put that out in the entrance of the neighborhood. And since I'm in an area that has other rentals, there's housekeepers driving, you know, around that area all the time. So if I need to find, if I have a new property, I just put that sign up and usually get a, you know, dozen calls or so. 
And then for vetting, you know, just like any other type of interview, you sit down with people and you figure out who you, uh, you know, who, who has the credentials and who you feel like you can trust and work with. Yeah. And then, so for example, when you're doing this, um, you're building it out. So you, first property, most people will probably buy something close enough to home so that they, they can do it and manage it or fly down there if they right. need to. And they yeah, put a bandit sign and try to hire. If you were to do, do this all remotely and never really be there, it gets a little harder, right? It does. You know, and I, when I coach people, I'll often get asked that question, you know, what's the best market, you know, mm -hmm. is, is Miami, Florida, the hottest market. I tell people, you know, short-term rentals is about revenue, but it's also about enjoying what you do, right? It's about financial freedom. And so I tell people to find their where, right? Find a place that you wouldn't mind spending some time. Where would you like to go with your spouse or your friends for a weekend? If you have a three-day weekend, you know, where do people in the Bay Area go to get away? You know, uh, is it a wine country? You know, so particularly for that first investment, I really try to encourage people to find a place that's within you know a couple hours driving distance of their their home base so that they can get uh, they can master their craft and learn um, you know how to set a place up and how to operate it exactly and i think that makes a good point too yeah especially your first one like even first real estate investment usually people buy something local close to home and everything like that and especially even vacation rental if you can buy something you can utilize yourself too out of the year maybe using it up to 10 days for example and then you're uh, investing in that you're learning the process you know the location because you've driven there you know the amenities nearby like best like you mentioned earlier best places to eat best places to shop hike whatever it may be exactly. and to enjoy it because you're localized you understand the market in a, in a sense right but if it's somewhere else in another state across the country you might not know any part of it you could research all of it but it doesn't mean it's good you can build off of it and but that's also additional work on top of it right additional stress in the beginning for your first one exactly you know uh, several years after having, you know, my systems and properties set up, I did have the freedom. I moved overseas. I, my, with my, uh, my wife and my son, we moved to Athens, Greece for a year yes. and managed seven properties that we had at the time, you know, on a seven hour time difference, 10,000 miles away. <laughs> but that was with those processes already in place. And I would say this too, in the beginning, your first property, you, you know, you do everything yourself as the first time because you're learning the processes, you're learning how to go through everything, you're investing your time into your investment property, right? After a while, you can actually start hiring assistants, VAs, managers uh, to build it out as you scale your business, right? Yes. Do you, so for example, when you started building your first one and you started seeing the revenue coming in, you're building it up, it's actually paying for this property, paying maybe even your property you live in. At what, made, at what point did you really decide to, this is actually a, a real business that's actually growing. I can actually buy another one. You know, as I said, um, that summer of 2018, I ended up buying three properties and mm -hmm. I bought one from a wholesaler that ended up needing about six months worth of, of rehab. And then I bought one from the MLS and the one that I bought from the MLS, that owner had a second property. So I bought her second property from her off market. So I kind of did a wholesale an MLS and, a, and an off market deal kind of all at the same time. Nice. But as soon as those started, you know, to go online, um, then you can really start to experiment between them and add an amenity here, change a policy here, change, um, you know, um, increase a price over here. And what, that's when I really got good at the craft. That's when I really started to understand what makes the algorithm work, how to get a property at the top of listings and what that means for what you can do in terms of controlling price and raising prices. And when you think about this too, you bought those three homes. You mentioned, you know, one from a wholesaler, one from rehab, and one off market from the uh, from the rehab one. But how did you start, like, um, like really sourcing these deals? Like you mentioned, wholesaler, but like, did you start finding them where they saw one of your, they saw your Airbnb and they asked you about it? You know, real estate tends to pick up momentum. You know, when people are getting started, you're usually thinking about the million questions you don't have, you know, mm -hmm. answered. But once you, in you know, be it a fix or flip or, or multifamily, once you get going and a little momentum going, I feel like the deals start to find you. So this wholesaler actually had called me wanting to buy a property um, mm -hmm. from me, but I recognized 
him as a wholesaler. And so I reached out and said, hey, I'm not looking to sell, but if you do come across anything, you know, I'm an investor, if you come across things of this criteria, you know, let me know. So, you know, that is a way that, you know, your audience can start as well as, you know, reach out to real estate agents, reach out to wholesalers and, you know, tell them what you're looking for. You know, the more you talk about what you're looking for in real estate, I, I feel like the more uh, the universe helps, helps uh, those things find you. I agree. It helps you attract it. The more you put it out there into the the world, the more people see it and like it actually comes back to you. So like if you want to be, you know, successful at something, you can just put it out there and people you'll find it. So that's a really good point about it too. And you know, when you started doing this too, like the first one, people the next question people will ask you too is like, how do you even get your loan on the first property? Like how much are you putting down? Um and then you know, how did you you start buying all the furniture and everything like that. Yeah. The first one is generally pretty easy because the bank is waiting for the typical homeowner to come in and say, I'm ready to buy a vacation house, right? Mm-hmm. Our banking system is set up for that. They they understand that established, you know, people are going to go buy that house at the river or uh, at the lake or at the beach. So usually on a second home, um, you know, vacation home, you can get a uh, 90% uh, loan, you know, 10% down. Um, when you start to go past, you know, two and three and four, then you, you start to look for loan products that, uh, that understand that this is an, an investment. Yeah, that's the point too. And I heard that too, like when you start building these Airbnbs, the first one's definitely easier, but then as you get to the second, third one, what happens too is your debt income ratio starts changing and they'll start asking you, Hey, I want a two year history on your first property. If you're going to use that as additional leverage to get your second or third property by then, you know, Different loan officers have different products. So, mm-hmm. you know, that two-year number you hear a lot. Um, in my experience, I've found lots of products where as long as it's shown on a year's tax returns, um, as long as you're able to re- document it on, on a tax return, that, uh, that often is enough. That works too. Yeah, if you can show the numbers on the one year, even if it was like three months, six months, and you show the percentages, the revenue, and drive, some lenders would uh, have options. So, I guess the point being is like there's multiple loan products out there. You really got to understand it. Ask different lenders to see. Not all lenders are the same at all. They all have different products to understand their guidelines to see what makes sense for you. And as long as the number is making you profitable, having good cash flow, and it makes financial risk and sense, then you can something to consider, right? Yeah, you know, and, and that's that leap I think that all of us in real estate go go through, which is, you know, I'm a individual who has an investment property to becoming more of a real estate investor. And I think one of those hurdles then is is finding that that we all run into is where to find financing when you're making that jump from I own a property to I own multiple properties. But yeah. but they're out there they're out there. And in short-term rentals, there's a, uh, a company called Vizio um, that, uh, that focuses on short-term rental uh, investors and, and understands uh, the cash flows and understands the business. How do you spell that? Uh, I think it's a V-I-S-I-O. Vizio, yeah. Check that in the show Reminds me of the tech, tech program uh, that sounds similar to that. Okay. Um, so, okay. Yeah. For example, now they're getting a loan, they're buying their first Airbnb. The part of next part of it too is like, okay, if I don't, I don't live there the first time, so I need to furnish this place. And like <laughs> some people have creative design styles. Some people don't have creative design styles and furniture right now in 2022 is hard to come by sometimes because of the um, delays with COVID going on. We tend to buy a bunch of furniture, start, um, we start shipping it in. Um, luckily we have a two car garage in our house and one half of that garage is usually full of some, some furnishings and furnitures. We're, we're actually in that process right now. Um, I'm heading out this afternoon to, uh, just to work on a property that, uh, that we closed on on Monday, but we usually start filling up that, uh, that garage with mattresses and beds and stuff that's coming in from Wayfair or Amazon. Um, and then I usually rent a U-Haul. And I put it all in a 20-foot U-Haul and take it down and uh, and drop it all in in a weekend. So that's uh, another point, too. Like, you think about this, too. And, you know, as as an investor, that's I see that as more active investing. Even though it becomes passive at a point, in the beginning, it's all active. Because now you're buying all this furniture, you're shopping online, you're buying it, ordering it, delivering it, installing it, or having paying someone to install it. But you're managing all this. And then you're managing the uh, Airbnb side of things. And most people enjoy that part. You know, I know that I do. And for most of the people that I coach, you know, it is the, the setup period, you know, is active. And 
if you enjoy shopping, if you enjoy, you know, um, you know, buying things, fixing things, installing things, it's, it's rather pleasurable, you know, and it's also not your house. So you can take risks, right? There's things that you can do, um, you know, that you wouldn't do in your home because it's, it's not your, your home. So it takes some of the pressure off of finding that perfect piece, you know, that perfect piece of art or that perfect color match. Um, you know, not saying that we cut corners. I'm just saying that, um, I know my wife, for example, was, has done most of the design work for her places and she was always hesitant to make, you know, big, you know, when it comes to decorating a, let's say we're renovating a bathroom, right? Picking out the perfect tile. Well, in a short-term rental, you can pick out a really good tile and it doesn't, you know, you're, it's not a reflection of you personally. Yeah, and that makes sense too. I, I see people pick different things, different price points, and it looks really nice. And even nowadays, I would say it's getting better and better where you can buy a lot of items from Amazon, from Wayfair, from other websites, and it really comes out really well if you could put it together. And once you do the first property, you can mimic it on different properties yeah. and just change the style a little bit later. As we definitely have some go-to items, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we buy the same towels, we buy the same sheets. You know, we've bought a couple of bed frames. You know, the, you know, it works and it's black and it's we know where to get it. We know how to put it together so again you you're creating um some momentum there um through you know through repetition so yeah if you think about it from a tech perspective you're actually systematizing even the buying process it becomes a part of the system because you can actually quantify and adjust and lay everything out in spreadsheets or databases mm -hmm. where you have all your items go to places urls pricing points condition quality and how long it lasts and then you know knowing okay this is, looks nice but actually is really cheap it breaks every month after right. to get that right. let me go readjust it to something better quality that costs a little bit more but lasts a lot longer so you see that and it becomes part of the perform performance of the property. And instead of just being an item, it becomes part of the value of what you're trying to achieve in terms of, you know, creating that revenue stream. Correct. Yeah. There, so it definitely becomes a process. Good. And how long would you say that active work is involved to set up your first Airbnb? You know, it depends on the uh, shape of the property when you acquire it. Right. So some places we have bought have been turnkey. You know, some of these places come with furniture and, or some furniture. So, you know, we did one a couple of years ago. There was a log cabin and a family lived in it full time. And so the place was immaculate. We really just needed to bring in some couches and TVs. Um, now, I've done other places where, for example, that story I told you about the wholesaler, where I built a 700-foot driveway and dug a 700-foot well and, you know, basically did all flooring. So, you know, it can be arranged, but usually we try to shoot to turnover in like four to six weeks. Okay. And also, too, I guess when you start talking about that part of it, some properties when you buy, they're turnkey, that's easier is better is faster in a sense there but the opportunity too that comes along with the renovation is that you might get a better price on that property you could do the renovations to right. your specs to turn it into a better airbnb host uh property and with that savings in mind it takes time but that saving is the same thing as you're doing a fix and flip same thing if you're buying investment properties it's with, a lot um, like a fix value. and flip yeah, yeah so my wife exactly. says she, she likes them crispy and i like them turnkey yeah <laughs> I, I like i like to fix them up it's, but it's a lot of work though. Like I did some ground up properties here in the Bay area and it's a lot of work to get to the final stages. But when you see the changes overall, it's fun, but then, you it's know, it's super the rewarding, right? It's super rewarding, but the cost and time involved to do that, you built a lot of equity doing it, but you have definitely had to do a lot of sweat equity to make that happen. Right. Nothing's so, free, yeah. but you are definitely forcing appreciation that way. Yeah. So if you do that with Airbnb, it kind of, kind of becomes a mix because if you do a fix and flip, you're paying taxes right off the bat, right? Short-term gain if you're selling it quickly. Right. But in Airbnb, if you did a fix, flip, and hold because you're holding it for Airbnb and you waited the two-year period anyways, then you got the equity and you got the cash flow. Exactly. Exactly. So and the cash flow is so strong. You know, I don't know. Gosh, of all the, you know, I've coached probably over a hundred people and, I, you know, I don't know many people that are selling right now because the market is so hot. Uh in terms of the, the rental revenues that, uh, you know, people are, are really holding and, and cash flowing. Let's talk about that too. Because in real estate, there's so many different ways to do investing. And I hear a lot of people nowadays are talking and asking questions about Airbnb and uh, short-term rentals. How does the, how do you see the numbers looking in comparison to like a single family's rental, long-term rentals, multi-units and, you know, storage units? Um, you know, five to 10 X gross, um, you know, so, you know, if I try to take one of my, you know, 
like a two or three bedroom, you know, house cabin that I have that maybe you would um, gross, you know, $1,800 or $2,000 a month in terms of a, a gross rent, um, you would be grossing something more like, you know, $10,000 a month in the short term rental market. That's a lot, a huge difference. That is a huge difference. Now, the costs are, uh, the cost side is different as well, right? So, you know, on that $2,000 long term rental, you know, you're just paying your mortgage, property taxes, uh, interest, um, where your tenants most likely paying utilities and cleaning and upkeep, right? So on the short term, you're paying the utilities and housekeeping fees, you know, the turnover fees, the uh, housekeepers, you know, that, that does tend to be, you know, a significant number. So we, we usually look at something like about 50% to the bottom line, you know, so a net number off of that gross after all expenses in short term rental. That's a good point too, because when you when you look at it from an investment standpoint, like wow, I can actually achieve that much more. If you're telling me a normal long term rental is eighteen hundred to two thousand, and now if I Airbnb, I can get ten thousand a month. And if I even discount the vacancy factor, I have to deal with utility cleaning, upkeep, furniture maintenance. That even then, that difference is so huge, over fifty percent. That is like wow. This can actually become a business. I can actually turn it side hustle into a full time business, and I can scale it. And as the cash flow stays consistent, the cost over time uh, slows down, and then I can use that cash flow to buy my next property and do it again. Yep, that's that's the game. You know, that's what. Um, you know, I'm not sure we talked about it, but I wrote a book called Host Coach, and it's called A Blueprint for achieving financial freedom through short-term rentals. And the idea here is that, yeah, you can get started with one and, you know, get to sort of around that three or four level and be free. <laughs> it seems so easy. And then I even, to be honest, I've seen some friends do it now and my friends are doing really well. They're like, you cannot believe how much different it is uh, in comparison to just normal investing. Like they had normal investing in the Bay Area. It's making good money for the market, for the area, for the price. But when you take the when you think outside of the box and you say, for that exact dollar value and the time value I'm spending on this, it's actually four x four to five x and maybe even ten x, but four to five x on average. That and the time is just different shift. In I need to learn how to do all this stuff. I need to take right. the different kind of calculated risk. But if I'm getting four to five x this one, why don't I just learn how to do it and figure it out along the way? And it's a lot more fun. You know, I don't know a lot of multifamily people, um, investors that, you know, spend a lot of time in their multifamily units, right? So, mm-hmm. but in a short-term rental, and you're going to pick a place where you don't mind spending a little time doing that work, but then, you know, can enjoy a hike in the afternoon. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not just always about the, the numbers in short-term rental. Um, you know, it's about quality of life as well. What do you think? So, like, talking about the numbers, what do you think about, like, what's the average vacancy rate on these uh, rentals? So I teach zero vacancy. I teach price for occupancy. So, you know, you could take any short-term rental and drive that occupancy to 100% by lowering the price. You could drive it to zero by raising the price. So we use a third-party dynamic pricing tool called Price Labs that sets our price for us based on market supply and demand. And then I will go in and look at any short-term vacancies and do some discounting. So, you know, you can always keep the place full by adjusting your price. And you notice too, like not everyone does that. Like they're not, all the other hosts are not using all the latest tech tools, systems and readjusting. Like you think about what you're doing right right there. It's kind of like an airline, right? Airlines adjust seats every day, every minute based on demand. And they fill it up as they want to fill it up, but they have a set goal, they have targets, and they have pricing adjusting, and they're adjusting based on even browser, phones, history, and timing to see what's the best way to maximize the back-end system, right? And, you know, Mm -hmm. you you hit it on the head a minute ago, like 90% Airbnb hosts are not taking advantage of that technological advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So if, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, if you do have a short-term rental or you're thinking about one, um, make sure that you do uh, investigate and learn how to use, you know, a a third-party dynamic pricing tool. Like like I use Price Labs. Um, Beyond Pricing is another. Wheelhouse is another. Um, But they all sort of work the same way, as you said, like the airline supply and demand model. They know how many people are searching in 
that neighborhood for that weekend. Not even how many people have booked, but they know like what the search volume is year over year and adjust your pricing uh, on your behalf off of a base price that you provide um, up or down to get maximum revenue. I, I have, you know, just try to clarify that a little bit for, for the audience. You know, so if I have a, a place that has say a $200 a night base price, I might get $600 a night on a weekend that's a holiday in a month from now. And that's, you know, very common. I have a, a, a place that is about a half hour away from a, a, a university. And one weekend, yeah, the four-day stretch went, you know, from $200 a night to like $750 a night. And it took me a while to figure out, but that was graduation weekend. And that that same weekend books at that, you know, three, four times rate uh, every year around that around that weekend. So the pricing model will definitely eke out, you know, numbers that you wouldn't have thought to, to, to request. And going with that too, like if you were just using Airbnb alone and without any of these pricing tools, that means, would it mean that you have to just manually adjust these and based on your experience, adjust that up and down? Yeah. And I think most people just set it and forget it. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, set it at $200 a night. And what, what, you find is when you do that, you're underpricing your weekends. So all your weekends will sell out real fast at $200 a night because they were underpriced. But then your weekdays will maybe be unbooked because they're overpriced. So that tool will take your weekend to say $300, $350 a night, and it might take your weekday price down to $175. Um, so that's how back to the, the way we got down this road and question was about occupancy. What is the occupancy? Um, if done right, your occupancy should be, you know, approaching 100%, you know, 94%, maybe you're missing what we call orphan day, you know, between bookings. Yeah, and that, that was, you, need, you need orphan days too, just to maintain, clean up, get your housekeeper already, depending on how fast they can turn over units. If you could turn over the same day, like a hotel, that would be amazing because you're just constantly turning it and managing it within a couple hour, couple hour periods. Yeah, we turn over all of our properties, you know, every day, right? So... Um, but you're right. There's you can use that orphan day. You know, I'll sometimes use them to uh, to go down and uh, do a little work or fix something. Or as you had suggested, um, you know, have the housekeeper do a little bit of a deeper clean than than the turnover clean because you know you're not always scrubbing all the baseboards or cleaning that cleaning out that oven. You know, when you have a four hour turnover. But if you have uh, a little extra downtime, yeah, then you can do some of those extra projects. And thinking about that too. When you're first starting, is there any websites that you know, educational websites that actually have like all these checklists, things to do, things to be aware of, and like how to get started going? Not to be too self-promotional, but uh, I've got the book on the subject. <laughs> it's called Host Coach. It's available on Amazon, and it is literally from property selection to operations, all of our systems, you know, all of our checklists, um, all of the tools, how to use the tools. Um, it's not just a book report on, you know, um, the features on the tools. It, it's not just the what, it's the how. It's exactly how we operate our business and how we um, teach our coaching clients to operate theirs. Nice. That's actually really helpful, too, because, like, you know, like anything in real estate, there's no one platform that tells you everything. And no one wants to just give you everything out there. But as people progress, they build coaching systems, they build checklists, they provide services and teach people how to really scale it. Because, you know, abundance mindset, everyone's here to help and grow. And the fact that you can learn from someone else who has already done it and done it multiple times and you learn, you succeed faster from their failures of what they've gone through. That's really valuable. Like I do a lot of coaching and I also um you know, get coached by people because for me, it's an investment to accelerate my growth into any category I want to be in. Like why spend my time learning everything myself and looking and Googling, YouTubing everything when I could just pay you, for example, pay someone else who has already done it to say, Hey, get me to where you're at in X time period, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's all of our learning. And, you know, as you said, once you, once you've coached a number of people, um, then you kind of become a pollinator of, of the best practices, right? Mm-hmm. And you learn from different coaches too on different ways they do things and like different systems, different practices, and you readjust. And every market can be a little different, anyways, too. So, speaking about markets, how do you go about for the first time you want to Airbnb? How do you go about selecting market? Besides, you mentioned okay, local within my area. Let's just say I don't have an area I want to be in and I want to go out further. How do I select? Um, I, well, again, that first step is you know, where would you like to go? Where do your friends like to go? If 
you know, you, if you don't have an opinion on that. So I was doing a presentation down in South Carolina a few months ago. And so, you know, I wasn't from South Carolina. I didn't have friends. You know, I, I didn't know where people went. I literally did a Google search, best, you know, weekend getaways in South Carolina. And it came up with lists of national parks and came up with, you know, winery areas. It came up with, you know, lake regions, you know, so you can, you know, do a Google search for any state, you know, best attractions or best weekend getaways in, in, uh, in South Carolina and come up with a list of, you know, a dozen places, see what rings a bell for you. And then you can um, go to Airbnb and see if it's a viable market, right? So when I say that, if you go to Airbnb, at, you know, for Greenstown, you know, and there's two Airbnbs, well, maybe that's not going to support you know, uh, a robust business. Conversely, if there's a 1, 1,500 like Miami, maybe it's a little overcrowded, right? So I'm looking for, if I type in Airbnb, the name of a town or area, if there's more than 100, if there's like 300 is a good number, less than 500, then I know there's a viable uh, attraction to that area. It's supporting 100, 200 Airbnbs already. So I can I can be the best. I can go in there and, and put myself at the top of those search listings and get top dollar. And that's the fun part of it too, because really what happens is you think about this, it's becomes more of a marketing play and becomes a marketing business and learning how to market your portfolio, your product, your real estate um, better than others and learn how to maximize it with dynamic pricing tools, better branding, better services, better reviews, better amenities, better location. And that's where most people are going wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So I get that question a lot, which is, seems is this too late to get started in short-term rentals? Mm -hmm. It seems like everybody's already doing it. Well, a lot of people are doing it, but a lot of people aren't doing it to the level uh, that, you know, that would preclude you from being successful, right? So, you know, 90% of hosts out there, you know, taking you know, pictures with their, their iPhones and their decor is whatever was left over from their, their house, mm -hmm. right? They're not taking the marketing perspective of using, you know, dynamic pricing or, you know, all, all the other tools, you know, hospitable. Um, so there is definitely an opportunity to put yourself in the number one position by being a better operator, by being uh, a business, treating it like a business and not a hobby. It's funny because when I think about real estate investing, sometimes I see you know um, investors who look in the local markets and they say, like, "I want to real, I want to invest in real estate, multi units, whatever it may be." But when you see they get the place and they start investing, they don't actually want to spend the money to actually improve it to become <laughs> the best and to get the highest top dollar rate. They rather say, "Okay, I can just spend cheap money and try to make it best I can to get this price." But like if you spend a little bit more, it might take you a little longer, but you're going to achieve way higher results, which adds more value to your bottom line. They're like, "Nah, I don't want to do it." And <laughs> Airbnb, they're like, let's go for it because it makes sense. And so, when you hear these stories, you know, we we're talking about you know some of your friends that were, you know, making these great returns. I guess the caveat to that is that the people who are making the great returns are the cream of the crop, right? So you have yeah. to invest in all of the decor and things that we've mentioned, and invest in your processes and and the way you treat people. So you know, I run across hosts that have all kinds of opinions about how to treat guests. But if you're really going to want to maximize and, and be, you know, top dog, you really have to have a hospitality mindset. You know, you have to not be concerned if somebody drops a glass or, you know, brought a pet maybe when they shouldn't have brought a pet. You can't take it too personally. You have to kind of think your, think of yourself as the, uh, the guy at the front desk at a Ritz-Carlton. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of boutique customer service um, that allows these people, you know, myself included, that when you hear these stories of people who are, you know, doing these phenomenal numbers in markets where there's, you know, three, four hundred competitors, it's you just have to be operating at a higher level. Yeah, and I completely agree with you too. It's like you have to make a choice. Like, okay, do you want a Motel Six? You want a Hilton? You want a Ritz Carlton? What do you want? And what level of service are you willing to provide to get that number? And it becomes an investment. But yeah, the difference is by far. You can tell. Okay, you know, do I really want to sleep here or not? Not really. In that quick seven second influence of your property and how you market it makes a difference, and that also makes a difference in the pricing because when it looks really nice, you can tell. People are, are less price sensitive than you would think. You know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, people are getting into this. It's going to drive prices down. 
what I find is that it's driving demand up. And this is a good point to talk about how Airbnb works as a search algorithm. So if you pick a town and you, and you, um, you know, do a search, Airbnb has to decide of those 300 properties what order to show them. They can't show them to you all at once. So they put them in order, kind of like a Google search, right? The most, the showing the best first, right? So if you're not on that first page, you're, you're not being seen. An Airbnb guest in, uh, on average looks at four or five properties. So they're not going to go to page three to look at those four or five properties, are they? Right? They're going to go to page one. So you need to position yourself um, and measure your listing to make sure that you are, are in that top 10. And then when you are, then you're running into the price insensitivity because, hey, it's my wife's birthday next weekend and I'm, I'm not trying to get the $200 you know, if, if the place that I really like, this place that's really gorgeous is $700 a night, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to pick that because, you know, it's a special occasion. And that's a good point, too, because one is, yeah, special occasions and looking for people who are not price sensitive as much and looking for a special occasion and catering to those people at, you know, and the demand is there for people out there. And even my friend was surprised, too. Like, he's like, you know, per night, okay, average three fifty, four hundred a night, for example, some some areas. But then to be able to hit fourteen hundred dollars a night, like yeah. wow, that, that's insane. He, that's he hit fourteen hundred dollars a night multiple yeah. nights. I'm like, yeah, really good choice. But to be honest, his the house he bought looks like an Instagrammable house. Like every yeah. part of the house looks Instagrammable. Like wow, this is so enjoyable. I can see why people ha- want to be here. And it- people want something different than their own. You know, they want a different experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we also haven't touched on is post COVID. People want to get out of their houses. And so that's not just on the weekend, right? I get the message, you know, all the time, which is, you know, what's your internet like? Because I got to take Zoom meetings till two. So a lot of people who are living in this city, you know, I'm, I'm right outside DC, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, young couples or professionals, young families who are working from home, staring at the same four walls, want to go somewhere different and have a unique experience, not just on the weekend, but during the week, you know, Monday through Wednesday, they're going to take a three-day jaunt. If I'm working from home, I can work from any any home. Yeah. And actually, that makes a good point because, yeah, even one of my other tech friends, they did that too. They, they have the ability to go anywhere, and they're like, well, I don't want to be home for this time period. My kid's off school right now. Let's just go to a really nice uh, Airbnb that had a nice pool and a view, and then they just worked there the whole, whole couple of weeks. a Tahoe or something, right? You know, yeah, in a couple of weeks. Not a couple of days. They stayed there for a couple yeah. weeks. Like, yeah. hey, I'm out of my house. I could be somewhere else. You know, and people aren't doing as much – you know, international travel right now, um, you know, and people have the budgets and, and they have the desire to, uh, to, you know, go have new experiences outside of their uh, primary residence four walls. Exactly. And, you know, it's already going by so quickly too. I want to talk about, <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't, yeah, it's already yeah, going fast. So, you know, when you look at this too, and now you compare this active investing in the beginning, of course, setting it all up. How do you compare that and think about that versus like a multi-unit space where you can become more passive? You know, I love that debate. If you let's let's put the setup period out of it um, mm-hmm. and and talk about just the operations. So, I know a lot of like multifamily people say, "Well, short-term rentals is more uh, more active." Well, multifamily is more passive because you're hiring a property manager. Yeah. You can hire a property manager in a short-term rental, right? There's lots. There's major um, national companies that do it. There's a whole um, upswell of people who are like co-hosts, you know, that are just individuals that are versed in how to manage other people's properties. So you can hire a property manager and be just as passive as you as a multifamily. People often elect hosts often elect not to do that. Because, you know, say the 20, typical, say 20% for property manager, it's not that much work, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's my comment before about setting up systems. Yes, you're going to get a message and a guest is going to ask you, you know, maybe even complain, you know, the hot tub's dirty. So that's not passive. But that's not a lot of activity to justify 20%. So a lot of Airbnb hosts do self-manage because there's so much opportunity so little work and so much reward for that self-managed piece. 
Yeah, and I agree with you too. I I get that point too. Now I see when I look at it, and the because what I did was I waited for a year to see results from other people and what they're doing and how they're active they are, and they're saying, "Hey, to be honest, that's only like two hours a week now." In the beginning, yeah, I did some setup, but after that, just two hours a week. But what I'm doing is throughout the two hours, I'm improving the processes every single time. So over time, it gets easier, and now I scale from one to three to five to ten. Like okay, and that goes the same principles apply to all now because I made it the first time, and he goes, "But check this out." The numbers are so dramatical. This actually becomes someone's full time job. You can actually retire your wife, your your husband, and they can work from home doing this. But they're now instead of doing forty hour work week, doing managing someone else's company, making them money. You're making money for yourself, and it's exponentially growing and scaling. And you still only spend two hours a week doing it. Probably half of my coaching clients are husband and wife teams, where one of them is, where the goal is to get one of them out of their primary vocation. Exactly. And they're like, that's amazing. And like, would you want to do 40 hours a week forever or 60 and go back to work at the physical office? Or you want to stay home, make the same money and have it easier and have the ability to scale. And he goes, next thing too, you don't realize how much tax benefits you can get from this when you talk to your CPA about it. But like that number is helping dramatically to their, their, you know, income reducing taxes. You know, and why are we all in real estate? You know, is it for wealth creation? You know, what's a million dollars on on a desert island, right? Nothing. So most people that I talk to about real estate, it's it's a means to financial freedom. And so, you know, do you need, you know, two million dollars a year to be financially free or do you need, you know, an extra ten thousand dollars a month in cash flow? Yeah, and speaking of cash flow, and even I read listen to Audiobooks and books, but like you know, cash flow quadrant, like really taking perspective of where where are you are you at in your life? Are you an employee? Are you self employed? You're a business? Are you an investor? You want to become an investor? It takes a certain skill set and certain learning which we didn't learn in school. But the fact is, if we can learn to become investors, create that financial, find your why, as we talked about, you know, finding your why and creating financial freedom and generational wealth. I think that's way more fun and challenging, but it's a great opportunity to really build. And there's a percentage of people in life who will actually take that opportunity because risk is the hardest thing for some people to take, right? Right. And that's challenging because how do you help people who want it, but they won't take the risk to do it, right? They want it, but they're in the middle line right now. They're trying to cross over still. So you're, as a coach, we try to help them break through that part of it to actually go into the investment side of things. I make this analogy, you know, when we're talking about short-term rentals, I think most people have heard enough stories, you know, to know that it's kind of an exciting um, endeavor, right? It's profitable, it's exciting, it's fun. So I, I, I picture this beach, you know, off in the distance, you know, and this is the beautiful success of short-term rentals. But between here and the beach is a forest. It has all these trees in it, right? There's no lions, there's no tigers, there's no bears, but there's a bunch of trees that you can run into. And setting up a short-term rental is, is like that. There's there's a lot of little nuance to navigate and that's why we wrote the book to say okay here's the path this here's the clear path to the um shiny beach nice and that that's a really good concept and point because when you think about it, like oh yeah there is always another side to things and you just got to fight your way to get through that forest and once you get there it becomes crystal clear, but in order to do it, it takes a lot of work to go through it, right? Like all these up and downs, trails and things that block you. But once you can break through those and you have people like you and me who are coaching people through that, it makes it so much easier to say, okay, I have uh, someone's hand I can hold to, to guide me to get to the right path. Like if you want to count what Mount Everest, you're not going alone. You got guides <laughs> to get you to the top and who have done it multiple times over and over again. That's a, that's a great analogy, you know, and, and there's just a lot of little decisions along the way in a short-term rental. Um, but there's, there's right answers and, uh, uh, it's, you know, none of them are really all that scary. Another point too, is like, okay, this is stressful. It's so much work. I don't want to do it. I'm like, which is more stressful doing that one time learning throughout and growing yourself to learn how to do it or working 40 hours for the rest of your life and retiring with nothing after social security and pension and nothing. I think a lot of people are starting to figure that out. I'm glad. I, I really want people to figure that out because it took me a while, even though you know, I started investing when I was 24, but it took me a while to get there. Even at 24, I was like, this has got to be a better way. You can't just be doing working in tech forever and just sitting here and waiting for people to lay you off as you get older and learning the systems and everything changing over and over again. There got to be I a better way. I think there's some, some silver linings to the whole you know global pandemic. You know, yeah. One, a lot of us, you know, saw that we can work from home. A lot of us reevaluated our work, you know, work money priorities. Um, and so I think that, you know, we will, you know, the silver lining is that, you know, 
it's sh shaken up the world enough that people are looking at it, you know, in, in a different way and reevaluating, you know, their priorities and, uh, you know, the importance of family time and financial freedom. Actually, I like that part of it, not the COVID part, but I like the part where the last two years, everything changed and it's so much better because for me, I actually been working home for over 15 years okay. and people didn't realize that I'm like, you know, there's some better way, like you don't have to drive to work, you don't have to drive back home, you don't have to deal with traffic accidents, car maintenance, everything else. You get time back, but you use that time for side hustles, build your real estate empire. You have way more fun and you create that financial freedom and you, you spend time learning how to do new things and investing into your life for your kids, especially for family. Then you're going to work so much harder to do that because you get time back. That financial time back is worth more than anything. You know, and people people nowadays are starting to realize that. Like, hey, I thought I needed to go work. I thought I needed to be next to everyone. I thought I needed to do this. I'm like, you could, but you know, what are you gaining from that after the end of the day? Right. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. So that's a part of it too. So some other things I wanted to ask you about yeah. too is that what other tips besides the ones we already talked about, like getting people to start investing, people who are already doing Airbnb, how to be successful in 2022 and beyond. So tips or tricks for success? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've talked about a lot of it. You know, mm -hmm. one of the pieces that we haven't touched on is sort of the continual improvement. Um, so, you know, as you have a portfolio, you want to be reinvesting in that portfolio, not just growing it, right? So improving those properties. And then monitoring, measuring your progress. So what gets measured gets managed. Mm -hmm. So we use a tool called Rank Breeze that helps us keep track of exactly where our listings are showing in search results. And so we can use that um, to make adjustments to our pricing and policies to rise our listings in, in search results. And if they're significantly always number one, then we know that we have some authority that we can raise prices. So that's kind of a pro tip. What's, uh, what's the application called again? Uh, Rank Freeze. Rank Freeze. It's a it's a software as a service website. Rank Freeze. Cool. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, you're using all these tech tools that are really good out there. I think a lot of people miss out on opportunities in real estate because they're not using all the latest tech gadgets and things that actually help you analyze better. So the point of it is not the system, it's the analyzation of data to help you figure out where you're at in the marketplace to really figure out how to rank better. Yeah, these platforms have done a great job, you know, opening up their APIs to third parties to allow all kinds of, you know, solutions to be built in an ecosystem around the, uh, the booking platform. Yeah. And I think another question people will ask you too is in the last two years, how did the COVID really impact the Airbnb business, um, the, the properties you manage? Because a lot of people during that time period stayed home or didn't want to travel yet because they didn't feel comfortable. Um, you know, it went from the business being good to sort of really throwing gas on the fire um, uh, to the business being, you know, extremely good. So we did have a little bit of a 60 day downturn, right, as things were getting going. Um, but then, you know, that was kind of in, you know, I guess two years ago, you know, this this time frame two years ago, uh, mm -hmm. we kind of stalled. Well, when things were just really hitting, like in New York, for example, uh, really hard, if we remember back to that time frame, and people were just very fearful. Um, but as soon as it got to the summer of, I guess it was 2020, then people were ready to, you know, get out of their houses. They, we'd been quarantined. And I think that's when that, that shift really started to happen in people's minds. You know, people, we're travelers. Humans, we're tr we, we want to travel um, by nature. And so I think that little bit of fear and shakeup um, from that initial, you know, COVID response really cemented within people their desire to go experience something outside of their their own neighborhood. And, you know, the timing probably for Airbnb, I couldn't imagine having to be Brian Chesky during, you know, when the pandemic was starting and he was probably thinking that, uh, you know, nobody would ever, you know, use the platform ever again and, you know, that, that they were going to die. Um but it uh, it turned out to probably be you know a, a blessing um, you know for for these platforms um, because it just it shook up the world and you know helped us reevaluate uh, our priorities and and so now it's it's extremely strong. 
I agree. I think during the last two years actually became a lot better for real estate in general because, yeah, people by nature want to get out of their houses, want to be somewhere else. And the good thing, too, is you mentioned like localized areas where you can go to, like you're not traveling out of state, um, out of areas where you need to fly, you know, far distances to get there. And the point being that if a lot of people want to utilize local spaces nearby and have a nice um, place to enjoy, that it actually accelerated that part of it. Because now instead of a hotel, hotel is like, okay, I'm going to be surrounded by people in elevators, next right. rooms, and using the same HVAC. No, I get a home by myself with no one next to me. I'm, I'm fine with that. And I'll pay for that. Yeah, I don't think the genie's going back in the bottle on that one. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's, you know, and then we look at this summer. You know, my wife was just planning a trip to Las Vegas with uh, some some girlfriends. And like flight prices have gone through the roof, you know, with, with fuel prices. So I think even, you know, just looking at a really narrow term, right? Like I think this summer is going to be extremely robust just because people aren't taking the flights that they once would have for family vacations. Exactly. And yeah, I agree too. And with the flight prices so high, somewhere people are telling me I can just fly to Hawaii a little cheaper than flying some local places. I'm like, yeah, you might as well just fly to Hawaii then. <laughs> that, that price, right? So it makes sense. Like they're flying to Arizona. So like it's cheaper to fly to Hawaii from SF than it was to fly to Arizona because of gas. I'm like, okay, kind of cool. What are um, the four main pillars of short-term rentals and like, how do you use that to create financial freedom? You know, I think we've talked about about we've touched on on them uh through the through the conversation here you know the first is find your where right find a place that you're excited about that uh you know you don't mind going to um and and that's the first step second step is we, we say make it pop and that's your decor make it clean make it inviting you know we we, we like to say our cabins are rustic on the outside and crate and barrel on the inside and part of making it pop is making the stand out in the listing with professional photography is an absolute must, right? You have to have professional real estate photos because people aren't seeing the property. They're making this thousand dollar a night investment, as, as you mentioned, based solely on your photography. Um, so that's, that's number two. Number three is price per occupancy. So adjusting your price to keep you 95% full, and that's going to feed the algorithm to put you back towards the top. And the fourth is to monitor that rank for um, um, monitoring your ranking placement uh, so that you can leverage being at the top to higher prices. That's actually really good points to make. And that's if you people take this and use utilize this kind of um, roadmap and guide and even looking at your book, The Host Coach, that actually is really helpful because now they have a a blueprint on how to really build the out, how to take advantage of, you know, learning from you and your successes for your group and utilizing that to really scale. And it makes you feel comfortable knowing, okay, if I just do these things, I know 90% of people aren't doing it. I can become more sustainable. I don't really have, I take a little less risk understanding more and go into it. But once you get the first property, then you start getting comfortable to start thinking about it as a true business that you can scale and, you know, just improving uh, throughout and utilizing this technology to, optimize your the performance of each property exactly cool okay so we're about to wrap up now any final words and how do people really reach out to you how do they learn more about what you're doing how you can help them yeah. more about your book and um, how they can move forward in investing into um, short-term rentals yeah the website is hostcoach.co and there's information about coaching on there. Um, there's a blog that's that we've started that start to answer some of these questions. There's a link. The book is available on Amazon, you know, at Host Coach. And then our Instagram is kind of fun because we do a lot of uh, behind the scenes on, on our renovations and fun stuff like that. And that's just at host underscore coach on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, final wrap up, using social media as a platform to really um, help drive awareness to all your Airbnbs and by providing really good pictures, videos, storytelling that creates awareness for your property too. And using social media can actually be really additional benefit because it puts you out there and people say, Hey, I want to be here. Oh, that's so nice. I actually can use them for my Instagram. I can use this for pictures and I want to be in that location anyways, that can create another additional layer of scalability. Absolutely. Like you said, your friend who had the Instagrammable home, yeah. you know, um, you know, for, for listeners in the audience that are, you know, versed in, in social media, um, you can really, you know, grow traffic to your, to your properties 
you know, through your own photos. We had done something one time where we had uh, a little sign made on Etsy, you know, it had a hashtag. I think it was like hashtag cabin life, which is cabinlife.com is the our website for the, for the properties. Nice. And we put up this sign, you know, in a, in a spot in the house that made a great, you know, had a great view and a great picture. And so we always encourage people. I think we even did something in our messaging uh, for a while that said, you know, you know, tag us, tag us in a, in, in a picture and I don't know, we did a drawing or something like that, but you can get real creative. That's, that's another just sort of jumping off point about short-term rentals is that whatever your strength is, you know, whatever your creativity is, it really lends, this business really lends itself to personalization, right? So, you know, let's say you're, you're, you're huge on TikTok, right? Let's say you're, you know, into you know, whatever it is that you're into as a personal passion or personal strength can be leveraged usually into a successful short-term rental business. I love it. It makes me want to get into some short-term rentals right now, you know, and like seeing these results pay, pay a lot. And, you know, comparing to the multi-unit space is just different in what you choose to do. But in reality, I see it as a really great way to really build your cash flow, financial wealth, and a great investment opportunity for anyone. Uh, so for everyone out there, be sure to check out our podcast, The Truth About Real Estate, and be sure to check out Colin and Tate at Host Coach. Learn more about his book, his coaching, and how they're growing, and take a look at that and you know, re-listen to, really re-listen to this podcast. And there's a lot of takeaways from this, but the best thing to do is actually to take action and get started and, you know, work with people that are doing this and learn from all of them out there free or not. It's the best way to grow. If you really want to build that financial freedom and financial generational wealth, you got to take action and do it. I love cool. it. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day and we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks Matt. Take care.